Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be up here again. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Devin, and I'm the family ministries person here at the church. And I'm excited to be up here to share again in our Playing Favorites series. <clears throat> in case this is your first week here and you don't know what the Playing Favorites series is, it's a series where the people who are speaking will get to share um, passages that have like are our favorites. So for me, looking at that, um, I picked passages that affected me in my life spiritually and helped me grow. So last week we talked about who really is Jesus and not so much in understanding who Jesus is, but more um, the need of us asking ourselves that question to truly understand him in a greater way. So since I think last week was kind of a bigger topic, I thought we'd take it easy this Sunday and let's just talk about meaninglessness. Okay, good. I was worried you guys weren't going to laugh, that I wasn't going to deliver it well. All bad jokes aside, um, I wanted to address the word meaningless. So I went to my favorite dictionary in the world, and that's dictionary.com, because I'm really bad at finding the word in the pages. And I typed in the word meaningless, and it gave me this definition. It says, it's without meaning, without significance, without purpose, or without value. I think this is a fairly sufficient way to define meaninglessness, or the word meaningless. Um, The thing I love about this word is that it's actually a fairly strong word. Someone says something is meaningless, you're like, oh, why would he say that? And it kind of piques your interest. People say something is meaningful, it kind of, you're like, oh, that's nice, and you move on. But then if you say something is meaningless, people actually like pick up their ears and listen. And the reason why I think that is is because in a world full of like positive comments, so like if everybody said to me after church, oh, this was great, but one person came up and said, this was the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Guess which one I'm going to think about when I get home? That one negative comment. And it's because we just naturally think about the negative comments. It'd be the same as if I ran a youth event and you know, all the kids were like, oh, this is so great. And that one kid was just like, no, I, don't, I didn't like it at all. And I mean, he could have been sitting in the corner on his cell phone and yelled at people the whole night, and that's why he didn't enjoy it. But I'm still going to go home thinking, wow, should have redone that. And it's because, naturally, the negative thing sticks more and lasts longer. And that's why I like this word. It's a strong word. But here's the tension with the word meaningless. It's a continually changing definition. From people to people, you ask them what's meaningful, what's meaningless, They'd go through the list, they'd look it over, and I'm sure there might be some common things. You know, I'm sure a lot of people will say family is meaningful, which is good because family is meaningful. But there's also going to be a lot of things where people disagree on. But then even from person to person, or sorry, even from like person that grows up and changes, what's meaningful at one point might now be seen as meaningless, or what is meaningless may now be seen as meaningful. To give you guys an example, I wanted to take a trip down memories lane to Kid Devon, so imagine just shorter, more hair, less beard. (laughs) And it works. Um, And by less, I mean no beard. It was a sad time. But uh, I wanted to share a few things that Kid Devon found very meaningful that now adult Devon finds meaningless. So the first one is Pokemon cards. (laughs) As a kid, I loved Pokemon cards. I'd collect them. I would trade them. I grew up in the era where they were starting to make them not allowed in schools because kids were fighting over them because of the no trade-backs rule. And (laughs) it's just a chaotic time in my youth. But uh, (laughs) 
Um, I loved Pokemon cards and trading and collecting them, and I would say that was something that was meaningful to me as a kid. Now, don't get me wrong, I still like Pokemon. I'm still a kid at heart. But I don't own a single Pokemon card, mostly because now I realize it's just a money grab. But, uh, <laughs> but what was once meaningful to me is now seen as something that's meaningless. The second thing is not going to school. As a little kid, I'm not talking about weekends because weekends are so awesome. Let's just be honest here. But um, if I could miss school, you know, if I was sick and I could stay home, spend the day in my pajamas, laying on the couch watching cartoons, or if I had an appointment and I could get out of school, or when I was in high school, you could buy out of classes to watch football games. I never watched one, but I bought out. <laughs> and, and I just loved missing school. Then I went into Bible school and actually started enjoying what I was learning and wanted to actually go to class and learn and did my homework. And these were all new things for me at the time. But school became something that was really important to me. So meaningful of missing school as a kid, as an adult, I didn't like missing school. Now it's meaningless. And the third one's going to sound a little weird. Um, just because it's something that I know a lot of people still like today, and it's snacks. I love snacks, and I used to love them a whole lot more. So <laughs> I was that kind of kid that had to have a snack and lunch, and then when I came home from school, I had to have another snack because it was just a stressful day. And then <laughs> after dinner, I had to have another snack, because you can't finish your day without more cookies. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it was. And then going into my adult life, you know, snacks started to grow to things like four or five Snicker bars. That's one snack. And that I looked to food as a source of meaning in my life. And I would use it when I was sad for comfort. And I ended up getting diabetes. So now I can't enjoy five Snicker bars. I can enjoy like maybe one a month. And what I've learned as life without snacks, is that my life's still pretty good, and I don't need them. And so what was once very meaningful to me as a kid is now seen as meaningless. So if meaningless is a definition that is constantly changing, then how can we address this? How can we look at what the Bible teaches about meaningless and you know, know that it's going to be accurate? Can it forever be changing? Well, we're going to be looking at a passage today from a teacher that's far wiser than I will ever be. And that's a good thing, too, because he was given wisdom by God. But we'll get into that. Um, and this passage is just, like, it's just a really good passage, and it starts off a bit shocking. So I, I hope you stay with me. So you can open in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, or you can follow along on the screen here. And it says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? So again, I want to come back to this teacher, right? So verse 1 talks about there being a teacher and that he is a son of David and king in Jerusalem. And when I think of this teacher, I imagine that this teacher is a little bit older in life, has lived, lived a while, fairly wise, and for someone to be as bold as he is to come forward and start sharing by saying something is meaningless, 
because that, that would have been shocking. He had to have known that people wanted to hear what he had to say. So I imagine it like, you know, people started hearing, oh, the teacher's going to teach. I want to hear what the teacher's got to say. They come together. They gather around. There might have been a murmur that before the teacher got up and spoke, and they're saying, oh, what's he going to teach on today? I'm so excited to hear what he has to say. And the teacher gets up and says, everything is meaningless. Probably not what they expected to hear. Probably not what they wanted to hear. And I'm sure in that moment, they probably thought to themselves, well, what do you mean meaningless? I'm sure if you were ever just scrolling through your Bible and you came to this book and you read that passage, you probably thought, well, what is the teacher getting at when he says meaningless? Well, in order to do this, we need to look at the original word used. And I want to preface this. I'm by no means a Hebrew scholar. I took Hebrew in school. I barely got through. It's a tough language, and I'm going to pronounce this word wrong. I wanted to put it on the screen, but then I didn't because I didn't know how to spell it properly. So (laughs) I promise I did my homework, but just bear with me if you speak Hebrew and you can do this a lot better. But the word is havel, and I probably said it wrong, but what it literally translates as is vapor. So he didn't say meaningless. Instead, he said vapor, vapor, everything is vapor. And the the teacher was trying to get this ideology into the people that were listening's mind that everything is temporary. See, vapor, if you see vapor, it's there and then it's gone. And I had a professor at Heritage that liked to use the example of soap bubbles. So so you'd say, like, it's like a soap bubble. You know, it's there and it's floating and it's shiny and pretty. And then all of a sudden, pop, and it's gone. And if you're blowing soap bubbles for a little kid, sometimes they cry when they pop, and then you have to blow more, and that's sad. Maybe we cry sometimes when they disappear too, I'm not sure. But he wanted to get across that everything is temporary. Here one second, pop, gone the next. In order to share a message like this, this teacher had to have been somebody with reputation. So in order for us to really get into understanding the message behind this, I want to call the question who this teacher is. And academically, there are some people that believe that the teacher are different people. I fall under the understanding that this is King Solomon. And the reason for that is because later on he talks about him being wise And King Solomon is known for his wisdom. And I actually want us to work through the passage in 1 Kings where Solomon was actually given his wisdom from God. So I'm going to read it for you now and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. It starts off in verse 4 through 12 and it says, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. 
Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so there will be never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So King Solomon brought offerings to God. And most people, you know, if they brought an offering to God, they might have brought a few, but generally it was like not a lot. He brought a thousand. Kind of shows how much money he had, because that would have been very expensive. And he brings this to God because he wants to make sure that him and God are good. And God actually appears to him in a dream and says, I'll give you whatever you want. Just ask for it. Imagine if he said that to one of us, we'd, we'd probably have a long list of things that we could ask for. And I, I know for myself, if I did ask for wisdom, it would be the things like, why do mosquitoes exist? Not, <laughs> not how to lead people better. Because that's what he was asking for, actually. He was asking to be a good leader, to have that wisdom to lead the people well. And God was pleased with what he had asked for. See, if God had appeared to any of the other kings in the area and said, I'll give you whatever you want, just ask for it, they would have asked for a nice long life so they could be king for a long time. They would have asked for lots of money. They would have asked for victory in battle. I mean, why wouldn't you? When you have a king and another king disagrees with you or you want the land because you think you deserve it better, deserve it more than war was common. So victory over battle would be a, a pretty common thing to ask for. But Solomon wanted to lead the people well. He wanted to administer justice well. So he asked for wisdom. And God gave it to him. And then we continue to read on, and actually he also says he's going to give him long life and wealth and all that other stuff too. But he gave him what he asked for. So Solomon, being a very wise person, can address things being meaningless because he's very wise and he would know what would be meaningful and what would be meaningless. But he didn't just get that blessing from God and then stop there. He didn't just say like, oh, God gave me my wisdom, I don't need to seek out knowledge. Solomon looked to see if he could find meaning in life. And if you continue to read on past verse 3 in chapters 1 and chapters 2, he actually lays out a couple of things that he searched to see if you, you could have meaning in. And the first one is actually wisdom. And it's kind of ironic because he searched for meaning and wisdom. And spoiler alert, he says that you can't find meaning in wisdom. But he searches for it, and it's been a gift from God. So you'd think, you know, if he's known as someone that's as wise as anyone ever before him and as wise as anyone that can come after him, he could hang his hat his significance, his value, his purpose on being a wise person. Solomon was so wise, in fact, 
if you scroll down or look down, if you have an actual paper Bible, down to verse 17 in chapter 1, he says that he searched out. He searched out and understood what it meant to be foolish and what it meant to understand madness. So he was so wise, he was able to understand foolishness and madness, which is just like mind-boggling because, I mean, it's called madness for a reason. But he was able to understand it. And he could see all of these things. He could understand all of these things. And he's just like, but this, I can't base my meaning in. This isn't enough. How many times in our lives have we said, if only I had known? I make lots of mistakes. So I say it quite often. Not always out loud. Sometimes I think it in my head. But you just wish, oh, I wouldn't have done this or I wouldn't have been a part of that. If only I had known. Sometimes we wish that if we just had a little bit more wisdom and we knew a little bit more, that that would be okay and that would make life a bit better. But Solomon, who is arguably one of the wisest people to ever exist, says, this too is meaningless. The second one that he sought out was pleasure. It's important to remember that Solomon was a king. Kings can pretty much do whatever they want. And he had a lot of money. So if he wanted something, he bought it. If he wanted to build something, he built it. And he also had a lot of wives, and he had a lot of concubines. So he experienced pleasure both intellectually and physically and sought it all out to the fullest that life could be. He also even says in chapter 2 that he, he built buildings. So I'd see it as like he's taken up some hobbies. He, he built giant buildings and had the satisfaction of a job well done, but that satisfaction didn't last forever. It was temporary. God gives us pleasures in life, and we are to enjoy them, but we can't base our meaning on them because they're temporary too. Ever buy something brand new, and then a week later you don't even use it? Because it's temporary. The last area that um, he looked into to find meaning and I would actually say this one's probably the most relevant for us today, is work. Solomon was a king. He got results. And when you look at the end of chapter 2, and you, read, and you read through it, and I encourage you guys to read through Ecclesiastes. It's an absolutely wonderful book. It um, starts out a little heavy, but it gets better. And he, he gets to the chapter 2, and when he talks about work, it's not like he, he did a horrible job as a king and that's why he thinks work is meaningless. It's because he realized that although being king is great, or although being king and having that title of king is awesome, one day he's going to have to take the crown off and hand it off to someone else. And it doesn't matter how good of a job he did, that next person could destroy it in a second. And then... Long term, when he passes away, he doesn't take his job into heaven. He doesn't take his job before God. You can't go to God and say, oh, but I was a king. God goes, yeah, I'm the king of kings. He sought out work. And the reason why I say this is something that is really relevant today is because I'm not, I don't know about you, but myself, if I meet someone new, generally one of the first few questions I ask is what they do. If you're signing up on social media and you're filling out your description about yourself, 
You know, quite often it's like, Devin, pastor. Or your name and what you do. And because if you're writing Devin Pastor on your Facebook, we, we need to talk. <laughs> but we allow jobs to identify ourselves. And if we're not careful, that identifier can become our source of meaning. There's nothing wrong with taking pride in your work and saying that the work you do is significant. But if it's your sole purpose in life, it's temporary too. Jobs go away. So when he says things are temporary, is he saying all of life is meaningless? Verse 3 in chapter 1 really helps point that out. And I want to read it for you again because it's been a little while since we've looked at it. So verse 3 says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Solomon wanted to start his message by saying meaningless because he wanted to get their attention. He wanted the ears to perk up because he had a message that he wanted to share. And he wanted them to understand that life focused on this world is meaningless. It's the last three words under the sun. Things in this world. If you face your values, your significance, your importance in life on something in this world, eventually it will let you down. Everything is temporary. Cars we drive, the houses we live in, everything is temporary. Eventually, they go away. So Solomon wanted us to realize <clears throat> that life on this earth is meaningless unless. If you keep reading, that's why I say reading it, he was really wise for his time. Because he, he says life on earth is meaningless, but we have a God that's outside of this earth. A God that we can look to. And the thing that I love about God is that even though this world is forever changing, forever temporary, God remains constant. God remains the same. Solomon realized in his wisdom that life where you put your significance and purpose in God is a life worth living. And he wanted his people to realize that. Because he knew that if they live like that, it's important. It'll change the way they live. It'll change their lives. Now for myself, I have kind of only struggled with finding meaning in life. Um, I found some now. But when I was in Bible school, um, when you think at Bible school you wouldn't struggle with keeping God priority, you are so wrong. When you're, when you're looking at the Bible constantly, it becomes a textbook instead of a way of truth. And it can mess with you. So ending my, my second year, I started having doubts about my faith, about being a pastor. And I had questions. And it's okay to have doubts and questions, but it's not okay to let them stay. You've got to work through it. You've got to talk to trusted people. You've got to read your Bible, seek out the wisdom. I didn't do any of those things. Instead, I decided I would not go home I would live in Cambridge for the summer with a bunch of guys. And, like, they're awesome guys. We're still friends today, but living with, like, six guys is never a smart decision. <laughs> and um, so because of that, I had to get a job because you have to pay rent because you live at a house. And you guys know. You guys are all way more adults than I am. So <laughs> I, my friend hooked me up with a job at Boston Pizza, 
And I was super excited, you know, went in, did the interview, got hired, did the orientation, and found out that even though I was hired part-time, it was mostly full-time hours, and I was like, this is great. Got my first schedule, I said I was working Sunday. I'm like, that's not great. I said I can't work Sundays. So first shift in, I go in, I talk to my boss, and I'm like, so you have me on in two days, because I started on a Friday, and um, my availability says I'm not available Sundays. And they're like, oh, we know, but Sundays are a nice slow day. It's a great day to train people. Could you just, for the training, work Sunday mornings? I'm like, okay. So I agreed to it. A month went by. My training had finished. First schedule outside of it, and I bet you guys can guess what happened. I was scheduled on Sunday. And I looked at it, and I'm like, no, no, no. I gave up a month of church for this job. I'm not going to give up anymore. So I went to my manager, and I said to him, you know, schedule me on Sunday. And he's like, yeah, we just really need you on Sundays. And of course, they just really needed me because they hired me to work prep on the weekends. So even though Boston Pizza didn't open at ele- till 11, my shift started at 7 a.m. because somebody had to make the dough and cut up the vegetables and cook the meat and all that stuff. And they hired me to do it over the weekend. So I worked Friday to Monday. And, I, and so they said, we need you. Everybody wants to be needed. So I was struggling with doubts beforehand, gave up a month of, of no church, and then they said they needed me. So I said, okay. I gave up Sundays for the summer. Wrong way to give up Sundays for the summer. And as time went on, some of you might be thinking, well, you were living with a bunch of guys that go to the church and are Bible school people. I'm sure you had like sometimes a fellowship and devotional. Well, I didn't. I had no discipline in my life. And we were on, and the people I lived with were on different life clocks. And what I mean by that is I got up at 5.30 in the morning, got ready, biked to work, worked a full day, and I came home, and everybody in the house was gone. Because while I was working, they were sleeping. When I would get home, they were leaving for work. And then when I was going to bed, they were getting home from work. So I spent a whole month, or a whole few months actually, pretty much by myself in a house full of guys. Explain that one. It's weird. Then, um, something else about me that um, some of you might know, some of you might not, I struggle with depression. When I'm alone, it starts to win. So the doubts of my faith putting job as a priority over God starts ticking down God being meaningful in my life and starts ticking up other things. And I, it got to the point where I started to think, you know, life is pretty meaningless. And luckily, in that moment, I turned to my Bible and I opened it and I came to Ecclesiastes and I read verse 2 where it says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And I'm like, oh, I resonate with that real well right now. <laughs> and I kept reading And that was the first time I realized that Solomon was trying to teach the people that you base your meaning in God because things on this world are temporary. And I learned from my mistake and I started to make corrections and now now I'd say my life is mostly focused on God. I'm not perfect at it. But we're getting there. But here's the great thing about being a Christian today and reading this book. We know more than Solomon. If he was alive today, he'd still be very wise. But Jesus hadn't come yet. 
That hadn't happened. And God gave Solomon wisdom, but he didn't tell him that Jesus was coming. God sent Jesus so this message can be brought to everyone. He sent Jesus here to live, to go on the cross, to be the last sacrifice that we ever need to atone for sin. And when he did that, he made making God a priority in your life available for everyone. When Solomon spoke, it would have just been to the the Jewish people. But now it's for all of us. Now we can say life with Christ is meaningful. And that is amazing because not only is he still God, but he also lived here on earth. He understands us. He knows what it was like. And he still did it for us. It gives us hope. If we didn't have God do that for us, we'd be looking at life and just saying, yep, that's meaning, meaningless. And that would be the end. That would be Solomon's message. Everything's meaningless. Good night, everyone, and walk off. <laughs> That'd be even worse. But instead, we can look at the world, see that everything's temporary, but we can always look up. We can see our Heavenly Father and that he isn't, that he is eternal, and he's given us eternal meaning. And that is just a truly wonderful thing. And I want you guys to understand that, because I don't want any of you to ever feel like life is just meaningless, because it's not a good place to be. So I want to challenge us this morning to answer this question. I like questions, in case you didn't know. Um, challenge us to answer this question regularly, and it's, where do you find meaning? Now, if you're like, oh, I, I don't know, or I need like a good like, few days to sit down and think about this, I can rephrase it to an easier question, but it's also a little bit harder to you hear it. How do you spend your time? Now, when I say that, I want to exclude work, because most of you would say, well, I spend most of my day at work. So let's exclude work. So instead of saying time, let's say, how do you spend your free time? Is God in it? Or is he not? So the things that we value in life are the things we give time to. And if in your free time, God's not there, then perhaps your meaning in life isn't focused on God. We can believe one thing, but actually live another And I want to encourage you this morning to be asking yourselves that because we want to be a church that's focused on God. Our vision for the church, our goal, is to love God, love others, and change the world. And in order for us to do that, Christ needs to be our meaning. Can't love God right if he's not your meaning. Can't love others right if he's not your meaning. Can't make an eternal impact. You can make impact in the world, but you can't eternally change the world without focusing on God and letting him work and speak through you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful that you sent your son here to die on a cross, to be here with us, to live, to go to the cross, to bear our sin so that we can have eternal life changing hope found in you. God, I pray that we as a church continue to be people 
that put our meaning and our significance and our value and our importance in you and you alone. Help remind us when we start to slip that we need to refocus. God, be with us the rest of this week and keep us safe. I pray this in your great and heavenly name. Amen.